Good morning and welcome to the Healing Our Brokenness podcast, where we dissect problems and solutions that occur among broken people living in a broken world. And where we also believe that everyone has a story to tell. This weekend, it is uh, pretty much unusually warm outside. We're going to be at a high of 72. And that is really good for us living in the Midwest here and having 72 degrees and sunny. Oh, my word. It feels pretty good out. And uh, I think sometime this afternoon, I will probably take a walk over to the beach after doing my running around for the day. I'm not sure what it is you have planned, but if it's nice and warm and sunny where you live, oh my word, we can definitely uh, all take care, uh, take advantage rather of the weather for today. And uh, tomorrow is supposed to be pretty decent as well. Uh, I just want to thank you listeners for uh, your support that you've been giving for the last what, two years? It's been a little bit over two years now. It's uh, just been totally a blessing. And this episode is episode number 74. So uh, you've been hanging on there with me for 74 episodes. And that is a humongous blessing. Uh, This morning, I got a chance to interview Toria Johnson. And one thing about that interview is that it was definitely Holy Spirit filled, if I would say so myself. Um, I definitely could feel chains that were broken during the interview. Uh, God was there in the midst. And when you have God there, the scripture says, wherever there are two or three that are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of it. So we had God there in the midst and we both allowed him to use us as his vessels for his glory. And so I want you to take a listen in on the interview and I hope that there's something that Toria says that will resonate with you and that will cause some chains to be broken, some reminiscing to go on, and just that it will allow you to continue to walk in that path of freedom. And so without further ado, here is Toria Johnson.
Good morning. <laughs> can you hear me really well? I can. <laughs> I'm matching a little bit. I got my camouflage on too. <laughs> oh my word, you sure do. I was like, hmm. I like that one though. <laughs> yeah, what do I feel like throwing on today? And I was like, yep, I'm going to throw my sword girl camo on since I hadn't worn it yet. Oh, I like it. And I love your hair. I love it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're going to laugh at you are rocking it. Tell, and this morning I said, I need to shampoo my hair. And I'm like, is that a good idea? 750. And I'm like, you know how you once you get some set in your mind, I say it. I'm about to go ahead and shampoo my hair. Right and it looks great. I love it. Oh, thanks. And I said, I didn't even finish blow drying it yet. I was like, well, I'm going to get it where it's at least halfway dry. Put some detangler on there, a little bit of lotion, and, and call it a day. <laughs> Be on there at 830. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I want to introduce you uh, to everybody. This is my cousin, Toria Johnson. And Toria is a woman of God. She is a fertility liaison, an advocate for the empowerment of women, entrepreneur, and last but not least, is she's a mother of three. So if you can just give a shout out to the audience today. Hey, <laughs> shout out to my children, Akasia, Nicholas, and Brian. I might have one bonus child. It's my stepson, Christopher. So I have to get a shout out to him too. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. That's right. Chris, Chris in the house. <laughs> okay, so Tori, we're going to start with um, talking about the relationship that you and I had growing up. I'll let you go first. <laughs> wow. Okay. So our relationship, I think our relationship was more of a sisterly type of relationship. Um, so even though I did not live in the house with my grandmother, Medea, um, um, I was, would go there on the weekends and on the summer, in the summer I would spend my summers there and we would have so much fun. And that was like um, being with you and laughing and giggling through the night and Madea yelling at us, telling us to be quiet and go to sleep. We made our pallets on the floor in front of her bed and we would just, and I would just uh, do little things to make you laugh. <laughs> but Madea can yell at us. Uh-huh. You sure did. Yep, you were devilish with that. Mm-hmm. So she did. And so, she, and so she did. She would yell at us. But I think she kind of enjoyed the, the laughter and the giggles as well. So, I think she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was so much fun growing up in, in, in Madea's house because there I found that there was safety. There was so much love. There was some good food, some good smells coming out of there. There was um, some wisdom. Grandmother was uh, not a woman of a lot of words, but when she spoke, people listened. You know, she had everybody's attention, and she her words were meaty. It was um, good. It was good. So, um, and as we got older, when we start hanging out with, you know, our little friends, we would, mm-hmm. you and I would uh, do some things that we had no business doing. And right. the memories that, that I have is <laughs> going to... Uh, 35th Street over in, what's that area called? Bridge Bridgeport. Bridgeport. Yes. We yes. had no business over there because that was an area that African Americans shouldn't have been in in those days. But they had the Dollar Movie Theater. 
Right. And he didn't have a lot of money. So we made our way over there to that dollar theater and we would watch movies with our friends. And they had a little restaurant right there in the corner, I remember. And we would just go in there like we were some little grown-ups and we would order our hot dogs and then go to the dollar movie theater and just yes. have a really good time. And one of the movies I uh, remember us watching and we just had such a good time watching it. It was Footloose. Yes. Footloose. And I was, we were so excited to see yes. the movie. And yes. I don't even know if we told Madea that we were going over there. <laughs> I don't think they knew where we were. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> yes. That, that is the funny part. I don't think they had a clue like back in the day. As soon as the street lights came on, you had to be in the house or we had to be downstairs. So when she called us, Toria, Tina, come up here and get these dishes, then we would have been downstairs so we could hear her to come, you know, go upstairs and get the dishes. But they didn't, like you said, there was no clue as to where we were at any point of the day. But then, you know, when you think about it, it had to show you there had to be some type of trust there. You know what yeah, I'm saying? I like that. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, you know, this this is like a Holy Spirit moment coming to me now. It had to be some sense of trust in order to let us go out and do that. And then knowing that we would come back when we were told. And that we were saying, but they knew that we weren't going to be out there doing something we had no business. And really, we were, had no business over there in the area. Over there, exactly. They knew that we were, you know, gonna, not being out, being malicious or... Right. You know, um stuff that we had no business doing. So I feel mm -hmm. like trust with that as well. Yeah. And I am so much for bringing that to my attention because I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, this is one of um, the things that I needed to heal from because I felt like growing up that um, because I felt like I was just given permission to just be, I didn't have somebody watching over me so I could come and go as I got older, as I pleased. And I'm like, nobody cared, but it wasn't that. This mm -hmm. <laughs> You want to cry right now because I felt like nobody cared, but right. it was the trust that I trust you. Right. <laughs> Not that I don't care, but I trust that you're going to do the right thing. Right. I trust you're going to be where you say you're going to be. And so right. in that, I made sure that I was in the place that I said I was going to be in, that I was doing the things that I said I was going to do, unknowingly what that meant until this moment, the mm -hmm. truth that was in that. So yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> yes, you are very welcome. Yep. But yeah, like I... And then, too, I don't know if you remember McCrory's. Like you said, it was a little restaurant, but then we would go to McCrory's, that one store. Five and time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, we would go in there, like you said, acting as if we were, like, grown women or something. <laughs> money we had saved up, you yeah. know? Yeah, we didn't have that much money, but I guess we, we were about, maybe I was about 11, 12, and you may have been, like, nine or something. Yeah, eight yeah. Or nine and, yeah. You know, <laughs> So sometimes we didn't have money, but Madea, she didn't have much money. She didn't work. She was giving no. every month, but she would give us a little money to go right. back and um, enjoy. So I, I right. appreciate my grandmother for making sure that, you know, she understood mm -hmm. that. She was yeah. not thinking money. Yeah. Yeah. And then what I remember, too, that stood out to me, uh, and it wasn't until my adult years that it sank in. We had just got through enjoying ourselves seeing Footloose. And we got on the bus because we almost had missed the bus. We ran for the 35th Street bus. The bus driver stopped like a four foot away on the block. We got on and the statement he made, like made me realize like something wasn't right with what he said. 
And that's when I knew, and it didn't click into years later of me hearing about Bridgeport, realizing I shouldn't have been over there. Like what he said was a racist statement. Because here we were little girls and he told us something about acting our age, not our shoe size or something else. But it was like the hitting message was, you don't belong here. I don't know if you remember the comment he made as we came to Boston. I don't. I guess that was la da unfortunately. Yeah, but I'm glad you're bringing this to my attention. But I, we, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. We both looked at each No, it's okay. We both looked at each other like, like, what are we talking, what is he talking about? It was like confusion. But I guess probably in the back of our minds, we probably didn't know how to interpret that. But it went to years later. It was almost like his, his, his hidden message was, it wasn't like, it was his hidden message like, you shouldn't be over here, you know. But when he said that, I was thinking, what? You know, after we put the change in the, you know, the, the fair machine and, you know, he told us about acting our age, not our shoe size, something like that. But it was like, in other words, the way he looked at us, like, you don't belong here. And we just kind of looked at each other's thumb. We were thanking him for stopping, you know, because he was stopping where it was not a bus stop. But we were trying to catch that bus, you know. And a lot of times when we went to 35th, we would walk over there, remember? I but know, I was about to say, a lot of times we didn't have enough money to get on the bus. And that was right. not a quick walk. That was a long walk. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it was maybe like 45 minutes to an hour walk to get over there. To it get was down to Ashland, right? That was Ashland. Yeah. Our house to walk through all those neighborhoods. We were some bold girls, some right. courageous little girls to do right. that. Yes, <laughs> you're right. Because like you said, 9 and 12 and then 10 and 13, you know, and us doing that, you know, it's one thing as we are older, but like you said, we were little girls and we were like on a mission, you know, to do that. And uh, we would go sometimes to the Martin Luther King Jr. Library there on 35th. Go yeah. Walgreens hit all those spots, and you know we thought we were living the life. <laughs> we were because that's the life that we knew, right? We didn't right. know better than that. We, we didn't, didn't know. know there was, you know, you know, other things, or I can't say more because I felt like we we didn't really lack. Um, no, and yeah, yeah, because even though we were poor, some type of way, my dear found a way to stretch the food. I always tell this story that I would get, could go into. Uh, Madea's refrigerator and see like a half a stick of butter but somehow she at dinner time at 2 o'clock in the afternoon mind you she was not one to cook late she, our dinner was going to be ready at you know early uh, so I, I would see a pot roast <laughs> you know and so I don't know how she did it and how she managed um, to uh, pull that, you know, pull it through. Well, we, we never missed a meal. We we didn't miss a meal. We didn't have a whole lot. She didn't have a whole lot because, like I said, she didn't work. She was getting a check every month. Right. We always had food. We always had what we needed. Mm-hmm. We sure did. I'm telling you, it was like, never fail. We had that food. And every blue moon, we knew it was a treat if somehow the way we had like steak and baked potatoes and salad. I remember that was like once in a blue moon, you know, um, when uh, my dad was still there and we would be over my dad's house and we had that and it was like, whoa, you know what I mean? And then um, for some reason, oh my goodness, this memory is so vivid right now. The tomatoes with a little bit of vinegar and pepper on it. Remember that? When my dad would slice up those tomatoes? Yeah, I, uh, and mind you, she... Madea, I don't know if the um, audience knows, she lived in Men Park Homes, the projects in um, 38 and Alice. Uh, but 
and also the cucumbers. I don't know if you remember the cucumbers. Yes, the cucumbers as well. And oh. yeah, and so another one of my fond, fond memories of, of growing up and with you is that I would see you and you brought up your father. He lived, you know, there when he was living there that I in the mornings and the weekends, Saturday morning, your mom would get up to make breakfast and she would make those little uh, Tennessee fried sausages. <laughs> he would go to the store and get that pint, you know, the of orange juice, that papaya yes. juice. Yes. And you guys, he would just be just interacting with you and enjoying you and just mm-hmm. like, he would take his paper out. I remember that so vividly. Yeah. You know, like that was the typical Saturday morning for you. And I just love watching, watching that. Oh, really? Yes. Isn't that something? That. Wow. Yeah. Even when we moved, because we were still a family for three years after we moved from my dad's house. So from some part of the time when I was eight years old to 11, the three of us were still a family. But now that you mentioned that, on the weekends, and uh, I can particularly remember Sundays with that paper, uh, him having the newspaper, looking at it, me looking at the newspaper. I like my funnies. I like trying to figure out the crossword puzzles, you know, that section. And then they had a little section in there where you had to try to draw whatever character was there and you could mail it in. So that was like my things to do on Sundays along with going to church. But for some reason, he loved that newspaper. And I don't know if you remember him bringing the, what was that, Chicago Defender to my dear. Mm -hmm. Lottery numbers. You know how to give suggestions of what your lucky numbers were to play. And like playing the lottery. So she, you know, for some reason she looked forward to it. I think they called it the Sunny Boy section, something like that. Sunny Boy. (laughs) But it was a little section where they would suggest the lottery numbers. But you know, the Defender, Chicago Defender, that was the newspaper that all of the blacks read. You know? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I do, I remember that. Yeah. You do remember that. And um, the ice cream truck. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I just got to laugh and chuckle at that because we would be in the summertime out there just playing, running around, whatever we were doing with our little friends. And here comes the ice cream man with his little music playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we would oh get all goodness. excited. And, oh, boy, we would go to the window. My dear lived on the eighth floor. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we would call up to her, my dear, throw mm-hmm. up the money down. Right. <laughs> for the ice cream man. And she would put some money in a sock or a little stocking or something, a handkerchief, whatever she had. Yes. Put yes. the money in there and drop it out the window. And we would go get an ice cream. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was a cone, but sometimes it was a bar. So, but she would say, bring me one back upstairs. By the time we would get back upstairs with that ice cream, it would be so melted all over. Scripping and everything because it was hot. Yeah, and sometimes the elevator wasn't working, so we had to walk up the stairs. <laughs> oh my goodness, ice cream dripping everywhere. Yeah. Dripping everywhere, yeah. So I, yes. that's one of my vivid memories, my fun memories of Madia throwing us, making sure we have money for the ice cream man and throwing it down in a little handkerchief or a sock or whatever. Right, right. (laughs) And she was very sacrificial because she did not have a lot. And so for her to be able to stretch those meals and to give us money every time we asked for ice cream money, you know what I'm saying? That was a lot. It is making me think about Holy Spirit moment when um, the woman 
in the scripture when she gave all she had. That was the widow of Zaphareth. That was yes. the widow of Zaphareth. And she, yes, yes, yes. she gave yes. her very last to mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. God blessed her for two years. Her vessels did not run out. And yes, wow. I just had a, <laughs> a Holy Spirit moment. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And Elijah told her to feed him first. And she did. She did. Because first she said, first she's like, well, wait a minute. I just got a, a cruise of oil and a little meal for me and my son, and we're going to eat that and die. But that's she, all we had. There was a famine going on. Right. Yeah. And so he said, well, feed me first. Mm-hmm. And so she did. She stepped out on faith, and she did that. Mm-hmm. Her vessels, God filled her vessels for two years. She mm-hmm. never ran out of oil. She right. never ran out for two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about Madea and the sacrifices she made with the ice cream truck and giving us a little change to go find something from the store, whatever little extra she had out of what little she had, and then fixing dinner and then inviting people over, you know, to come over and sit and eat with us. And we didn't have a lot, but it seemed to somehow still stretch. You know, when you think about like James who lived in the building, you know. And, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, what's his name? Red would come by and they would eat, you know, so it was, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. What yes. was his name again? Wine. Yes, wine. What's his name? You know what? So, wow, that's really, really resonating with me that she was so generous. She didn't, she was not a woman who needed a whole lot. She wasn't allowed, like, I need, you know, a new outfit. I need to go get my hair done. No. She's not that type of woman. What she had was for her family. Right. She sacrificed for her family. She made Mm -hmm. sure her family had first. And that's why I believe we never ran out. We never ran out. Yeah, we never ran out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, Lord. Yes, she sacrificed. The only thing she liked is for somebody to polish her fingernails or she would polish them herself. And I know... Lottery tickets. <laughs> and her lottery tickets, yes. And she wanted her coffee in the morning. Yes. You know, because once we moved, even though we moved, I still continued to go to, to Donahue Elementary School, which was the neighborhood school there in the projects. And I still would take the bus from 80th and Ellis, that Cottage Grove bus, all the way down to 38th and Ellis and get off and be there in time for school. And we still continued to have the weekends over there. Like you said, the whole summers, we were over there all the time. So even though I physically moved, we physically moved, it still was like I lived there because we were there all the time over at her house, you know? And I would come in some mornings, I mean, just talking 100 miles an hour. And my dad say, girl... I ain't even had my coffee yet. <laughs> so she wanted to drink her coffee. And then once she had her coffee, it's like, okay, I'm ready. I can listen to you. I can do this. I can do that. But, you know, once if she hadn't had her coffee yet, she said, girl. And then some mornings I come in, I said, well, maybe my dad don't feel like talking. I come in and I would be all, I mean, just all into my book like this and checking the clock every so often to make sure I wasn't late for school, just sitting there caught up. And she would tell me sometime that the world might end up passing me back because I was so caught up in that book. I said, well, I didn't think you were going to want to hear me talking this morning. She said, well, I had my coffee already. <laughs> I look forward to having conversations with you. Yeah, yeah she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she sure yeah. did. I think she had a, a unique relationship with every last one of us. You know, it was, did. It was different. It was a little bit different from mine. Mm-hmm. Um, she was still that loving grandmother that you can always count on to have, you know, to have your back. Right. And like you said, 
it was a different relationship that she had with um, each grandchild. It was different. You know, she showed her way of love and whatever that language was that she was able to, you know, convey to each one of us. That's what she did, you know? So, yeah, it's really something. And um, I remember also times when uh, your brother Cedric, he would teach me the two-step, and that's a vivid memory. Right there in the kitchen, which you know the kitchen wasn't big as anything as much he would say. Little square. <laughs> a little square, she would say, not big enough to cuss out a cat. That's how the kitchen was, was very little. Remember she would say that? Yeah. So we would stand there, like right, right where the phone was on the wall. He would be right, right in that area. We'd be right in that area. He said, come on, Tina. And he was like, come on, we're going to do the two-step. And he would take me and twirl me around, and we would be dancing right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very vivid memory. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now, yeah, so we're going to switch switch gears, but not exactly. We're still going to be talking about relationships, but um, I just want to dive into why you think that they're important. Well, I think relationships help mold you into the people that you are. It supports you. Relationships support you throughout your life. We all need people. We need people, you know? And so um, I just feel like um, it's through these relationships that, you know, that we're able to get through our lives, you know, and that we don't give up. We don't lose hope, you know, mm-hmm. through these relationships. Yeah. And sisters and brothers in Christ, sometimes they need to, to push us mm-hmm. or to come alongside us. And, you know, like the scriptures say, you know, you come to them in love, you know, and let us know if they feel that we're doing something that's out of line, that type of thing. You know, sometimes they need to encourage us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To pull us out of our rut of isolation or whatever it may be. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Walk alongside us. And, you know, it's just good to, to have uh, people to do life with, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Surround ourselves with like-minded people. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They hold us accountable for, you know. Mm-hmm. Everybody, not there's not one person who knows everything and who, you know does everything perfectly right. You know, so right relationships we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one thing, even though uh, after my parents separated, I started this path of not uh, having my dad in my life as much. Uh, but what happened was when he was in my life, I do remember and we lived in the projects, him saying to me, just because you live in the projects doesn't mean that you have to run wild like you live in the projects. So it was like, you know, he did try to instill in me in the only way that he knew how. You know, if I say like, this doesn't have to be your destiny type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Spoke life into you. He was telling right. you that, that you know there's more. You know, right? There's more. And right. The other people not doing the right things or you know falling into you know by the wayside. That that does not have to be your story. Right. And yeah, I got another Holy Spirit moment. <laughs> God is moving. It makes me think about the um, assistant principal at Donahue, Mr. Tucker, mm-hmm. and. He was our seventh grade, I want to say it was history teacher. And he would always use the phrase, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. 
And he told us, he said, it was some phrase he gave us about being able to use our minds. He said, because some of you, if you don't uh, go there and try to pursue this, you won't know what it means to live outside of this corner of 37th and Cottage Grove. Mm-hmm. You know, so he also wanted to try to, you know, get us expand to think. Us, expand us. And expand grow. us, yeah. Yeah, our minds, he said, you, when he said that nothing from nothing, leave up nothing, he would say, you put nothing in, then you're going to get nothing out. That's right. But it was one of those constants. Like if you ask somebody, what do you remember about Mr. Tucker? Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. And him, you know, putting nothing in, taking nothing out, and there's more. Because some of you guys, are, you know, you got to realize about that 37th college girl. That's probably what they would tell you. They remember about Mr. Tucker, you know? And there's certain teachers you remember certain little things about, you know, from what they said. And um, I know one of my teachers, Ms. Wendelwick, the kids would do little crazy stuff. You know how it is, how it was in grammar school. You know how it's always foolishness. When the teacher turns her back, that is. And she would always remind us, single foul, single foul, single foul. So we were all walking in single foul and the kids would be doing all kind of crazy stuff. And then it was always three or four kids that would go, oh, Miss Wendewick, Miss Wendewick, so-and-so, whatever student is talking about you. And then she would have her finger up and she'd say, they talked about Jesus. <laughs> That's what she would say. <laughs> that was her response every time. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah. Oh, my word. But that's what she would say. They talked about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I also remember she had these, she loved tights and different type of pattern stockings. And for, even at that young age, because I was, she was my fourth grade teacher, I remember like, wow, these are so cool. I mean, she had all kind of, any kind of designs, you know what I mean? All kind of stockings. That was her thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't know if she's still living. I ran into her. She was in her 80s. I ran into her about five years ago. Wow. In Hyde Park. And I recognized her and she looked for a minute and she said, wait a minute. And I said, I'm Katina. And then when I told her my, I told her my maiden name, she said, oh, Katina West. I said, I said, yeah, well, it's Horton now. And, uh, you know, as far as what the last name was. And, but she was just like, oh, wow. She said, oh, my Katina. So she did remember, you know, 80 some years. Yeah. That she would, you know, like I said, she said she was 80 something. Yeah. But I'm telling you, you just never know who leaves an impact. So what do you think some of the relationships um, that existed that helped to mold you as a child? Okay. Um, well, my mother had a, a big part of molding me, mm-hmm. seeing her, watching her. Yeah. Um, my mother was one who who was very generous, and she loved everybody. She just mm-hmm. a loving person, and she didn't hold grudges, you know. So mm-hmm. what I loved about my mother and seeing her and how she um, and her relationships with her friends, it was not like a friendship that she was on the phone with them every day talking. No. <laughs> that girl, what you doing? Yeah, gossiping. It wasn't like that at all. I, n- nope. I didn't see that ever, right? Mm-hmm. What I saw in my mother and her friendships is that, come on, Toria, let's go. And so she would get me dressed and we would walk over and knock on people's door. Does Marion live here? <laughs> no, she lived down the street. Does Marion live here? Oh, she moved up that way. And we just keep moving down the street. 
Marion, yes, come on in. And just joy, 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 happy, happy, happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hang they were always so happy to see my mother. She just, and the, her laughter. And then they would just sit there and reminisce and talk. And we would end up spending the night, you know, with Marianne. Or she would go see her friend James Adda. Mm-hmm. Friendship, they never lost love. And it's like when they reconnected, they just, you know, reconnected wherever they left off. You know, it just mm-hmm. was thing. And, you know, and they knew, you know, and then they would just say their goodbyes and they wouldn't see each other for a long, long time. They would call each other on the phone. Hey, girl, how you doing? You know, every day. It was just those moments where, you know, and they knew they could depend on one another. They knew that the love was real, the, you know, was mm-hmm. you know, true. But it was just so funny to me. And um, and I don't see relationships like that. Mm-hmm. Because it's like this continuous, you're on the phone, you're talking, you're going places together. And, but I didn't see that with, with my mother. So mm-hmm. I, I thought she had this uniqueness about her. But no matter where she went, everybody was so excited to see her. She mm-hmm. was welcome. They were always, she just brightened the day somehow. She just yeah. had that, um, that spirit about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, um, and she, I mean, she just loved, she just loved people. And she, um, the same thing as my dear would do, she would cook and have people coming from, you know, um, the building and come and eat Mm -hmm. or whatever. My mom did the same thing. She loved to listen to her music and Mm -hmm. to invite people over and she would love to cook dinner now. Unlike Madea, Madea's dinner would be ready at two o'clock. Now my mother's dinner would be not at nine o'clock at night, but it was still a good meal. <laughs> so that was keeping it real, huh? <laughs> keeping it real. She would, but she'd be in there cooking it all day, and she threw so much love into it that it was worth the wait. Yes, that's right. And you know what? Um, your mom would uh, always have me uh, laughing. She would always say, "I'm hip." You know, when she agreed with something, do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. And the other thing that she would, um, would tickle me is when her and James would dance. You have a muddy house, and it must have been like a, a, a day where, like, a, a Thanksgiving or something where people were coming over to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we would just sit there at the table in that little kitchen that for some reason it seemed big at the time, but the, you, know, you got the kitchen and the living room squished right there together, but they'd be in between the living room and the kitchen and just standing there dancing and all would go well <laughs> until James took it a little bit too far and his body didn't want to touch James. She goes slapping at him. <laughs> and it seemed like that happened every time. <laughs> every time it was the same thing. Yeah. You know, let's sh- let's dance, James. Look as if she didn't know what he was gonna do. <laughs> and then he would get, you know, too close and then bop and then they separate ways and they back dancing and doing that little groove and again. <laughs> but it was so funny to just watch. And um, I wonder if she just did that just to get a laugh. Just to I, get a that's laugh. what I wonder. Because we would we would just be falling out. Cracking yes. up at them. I mean, but that was our entertainment. Yeah, it was part of our entertainment. And um, you think about how like even like in the 70s and 80s, what they wore, James liked having his button down shirts and he the men would wear them. I mean, where almost half the chest was out. (laughs) (laughs) He would have that on in his little cornrows and yeah. Hey, I'm 
doing it, you know? <laughs> he was a character for real. <laughs> he was a character. He was a character. My mother always, she, I didn't know until recently when she told me he would threaten her and uh Peace Stew and even your mother saying that he was going to bring his sisters over to fight them. I guess by him being a man. Yeah. And I said, what? She said, yeah. He, he would threaten to bring the sisters out there to fight. And I told my mother said, I told him, well, you bring her on and see what happens. I said, oh boy. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of drama going on there. I was probably out was full of it, if you know what I mean. Full of the, the, you know, he was a drinker, so. Yes, yes, he was, he was. And like you said, James, he he was a good person. You know, his brokenness was drinking, unfortunately. I don't know if he ever ended up coming out of that. You know, but to, you know, it's something when you see a person, you can see underneath all of that. And you see how sometimes the brokenness can just take over and run their lives, you know, but you, we, I, I was able to see for myself, apart from that, who he was as a person. You know what I'm saying? Even though that was part of uh, his brokenness. Yeah. Now, um, unfortunately, now we're dealing with the pandemic and things out of control everywhere. This is what we're, we're month number eight. Eight, and then we've had um, we've had deaths even before the pandemic was really known that the pandemic was going on because it started they're thinking maybe like the end of November but like we had in January where we had Kobe Bryant and um, his daughter's death and then we had um, oh my goodness it's on the tip of my tongue the young lady that was at Kentucky. I'm trying to think of what state she lived in. Talking about um, Brianna. Yes, Brianna Taylor. Thank you so much. Brianna we had mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. In March, we had that. We had Amar Arberry, um, who was jogging. We had uh, George Floyd. So we have had all of that going on, protests, and all type, you know, racial uh, protests and that type of thing, all of that going on while we're in a pandemic and we've had, you know, craziness with the election uh, and all of that going on, why this pandemic is going on. So it's it's been a lot for everybody to have to cope with. Uh, Like I said, between the deaths and the racism and um, the election and all of that, uh, how have you been coping during the pandemic and uh, along with that, what advice would you give for someone as far as trying to cope during this pandemic? <laughs> I know that's a lot. Here, <laughs> just came in with a bang, and it's just wow. Um, it's unbelievable. I feel like <laughs> I keep um, comparing it to the Wizard of Oz when you know the tornado came. He was like Shoo! up in the tornado, and all mm-hmm. around you. And it's so funny that I'm saying that now because. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. But anyways, so the pandemic for me has been one thing after another. Um, so all this stuff is happening with, you know, with the, uh, the shooting of um, Floyd and the shooting of Brianna and, you know, um, Kobe Bryant. Everything's, you know, all these things are coming, had came to pass. 
And then so now we got this pandemic and now all of the businesses are closing down. And so I I remember in March, I think it was like March 15th, I had went to the grocery store right after work and like I got to go get some stuff because I didn't have anything. And they were talking about closing the grocery stores. They were talking about closing the city down because of this pandemic. It was growing and growing and growing. And I just was in the grocery store and there was nothing. There was no milk. There was no tissue. There was no eggs. Right. There was lines of people. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? And it was just like, I don't even know. It just felt so eerie in the air. It did. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. It was just like the uncertainty. We didn't know what was, you know, how this was going to turn out, you know, at the beginning of it. And then um, I ended up going back to work and I was furloughed. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, hearing the words, oh, you're, you're furloughed. I'm like, okay. And um, I'm a single income household. And I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? Well, and, you know, so many people applying for the unemployment. It was like millions of people. And I was like, how is this going to work out? But you know what? Mm-hmm. Just fine. Um, and started getting the unemployment. So I was on furlough for a couple of months. And every, I mean, we never lacked anything. We mm-hmm. provided for, my family was provided for. And so um, we ended up, you know, back at, at work again. And um, and so I would just say um, just having faith and trusting in God, no matter what we see on the news, um, what's going on around us, um, just knowing that God is not going to leave us, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. And I just have to keep reminding myself, all these things were just coming, 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 like the tornado, all this stuff, which is whirling, whirling, whirling. But God's word says that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. So I just have to keep on just relying on, um, you know, and trusting that God was going to see us through and he will continue to see us through all of it, no matter what. No matter yes. what. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yeah, but you're right, though. Like you said, when you talk about a tornado hitting, you know, it's just like, you know, then you try to to grieve one thing, but then the next thing, I mean, it just kept coming, you know? Mm-hmm. It just, it's kind of like with Joe, remember, it was always somebody that escaped to come and tell him what had happened. And he didn't have time to process that before someone else came and told him. Someone, one person who had escaped to tell him, oh, your cattle is gone now. Oh, your kids, they were, you know, having a celebration and now they're gone now. Oh, the servants are gone. You know, it was just one thing after the next, you know? Yeah, and now that you say that, one of the verses that stuck out to me in Job um, is um, Job 42 and 2. After he was questioning God and um, he said, "I now I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Mm-hmm. But no plans of the Lord can be thwarted. Amen. It reminded me of that. And I held on to that, doing all this stuff that just kept coming. Oh, my word. Yes. Amen. There you go. Amen. So how can you discuss the role that music played in your life? It could be as far as family, it could be friends, it could be your faith, but just the role of music in general. Music. Mm-hmm. 
Music is something that kind of, I feel like it's, it can be healing. It brings back memories, you know, of your past good times and sometimes not so good times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like you hear a certain songs like, oh, I remember um, this happened when that song was playing. Yes. Um, I love music. I love singing. I love uh, worshiping. I love um, sitting in music. I love to just sit in and, and listen to the words of it, especially in a worship song, just letting it wash over you and, and just resonating with it and just just being in it. It's like connecting to it, if that makes any sense. It does. Yeah, so, and um, music growing up, it was always there. <laughs> of course, my auntie, Beatrice, peace too, mm-hmm. she loved her music, and she constantly played the oldies, and so we yes. were part of that, and we learned to love it because it was always playing, and my mother, too, mm-hmm. they loved to play their music. They loved to entertain and listen to their music, and they would have their drinks and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you have their fun. And, um, and the music was always there. Music was mm-hmm. a part of growing up and it's still, you know, a part of my, a big part of my life now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it make, you know, um, I'm trying to think what's that? The Commodores is that with Lionel Richie? That was the Commodores. He sang with, right? Yeah. And you know, that song, father, help your children. And when I hear that, you know, it makes me think about peace too. Mm. Singing that, going through the house, cleaning and fussing in peace too's way. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Her singing that, you yeah. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's like a prayer at the same time, even though she may have not even known it, you know. Yes. It's, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can remember that, and us listening to uh, the radio. And uh, this was like Christmas time. There was like something magical about Christmas Eve. Mm. <laughs> his house, remember how we all gather? Yeah. And, um, for holidays, staying up half the night cooking. Yeah. And you would think, okay, what you know, we're staying up, you're gonna be exhausted and tired. But for some reason, that's what black folks did. That's what we did. We you know what I mean? Yeah, you stayed up all night long and prepared the meal for the next day. <laughs> and some kind of way, you know, you managed to get like four or five hours after doing that, maybe go to sleep, maybe about three, you know, somewhere like that, three fourths gets you maybe about five hours. But we would stay up all night and the grown-ups would be cooking, the kids would be having a good time, laughing and snickering at the adults who, who were cooking and laughing and reminiscing and all of that. And uh, But I remember at Christmas time, like looking out the window of the eighth floor, and even though I knew there was no Santa Claus, but I liked to pretend. And it was kind of like magical. You know, I would look up in the sky and pretend like he was coming over like the project buildings with the reindeer. <laughs> It was like magical. And Peace Stu would have the radio on. I remember like sometimes hearing that King Cole, the chestnuts roasting on an open fire. And then all the time hearing that Santa Claus goes straight to the ghetto. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Peace Stu singing it. I don't know if you remember her singing it. Oh, she loved the song. 
Yeah. I love, that's one of my favorite memories um, is Christmas time and even Thanksgiving time where the yes. sisters come over Madea's house, everybody would be there and they would just be up all night long cooking and Madea, she didn't make box cakes, you know, she, everything she made was homemade. So, and even if she didn't even have a mixer, but she made those cakes. Oh my gosh. She'd be there all night beating that mix and mm-hmm. making meringue for the pies all by hand. And they would just be up all night laughing, giggling, never complaining, mm-hmm. but feel the love. Just, it just felt, it just was, that's home for me. That's, that just felt like, I mean, there was so much love, so much warmth, so much welcoming, and just, it was just really good. It was good stuff. It was mm-hmm. good stuff for the family to come together, the girls of the family to come together with the mother, mm-hmm. and laughing, giggling, and um, staying up all night. The house is hot, door is open, <laughs> and the kids are laughing and giggling at the grown-ups because they're reminiscing about, you did this, no, you did that. <laughs> and they were yeah. yeah. And it was it was a real treat it was a treat mm-hmm. it was like you said Thanksgiving and Christmas it was just you know like you, everybody was piled up in that tiny apartment like you said the adults cooking and hanging out reminiscing music playing it was a lot going on kids playing and laughing and running back and forth and like you said the place hot as I don't know what <laughs> Oh, the oven is going, the stove is going, and somebody's cutting up onions and peppers. The other person is yes. mixing this up, and yeah. Mm-hmm. All the women were doing something. They all had a different uh, role that they were, you know, playing as far as preparing for the holiday. Mm-hmm. Which is so, wouldn't you say that's a lot of how blackness was celebrated? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a lot of how blackness was celebrated. And even when you think about the hair pressing. Oh. <laughs> right? Uh, yes, I remember that. Sitting on the pillowcase so full of clothes. <laughs> yes, piled up in clothes. And that that was our I guess that you would say that was our beauty chair. Like if you go to beauty shop and sit in the chair and get pumped up, the pillowcase was our beauty chair. Pillowcase, we sat on that pillowcase as my dear will press our hair with that blue grease. It was either be the blue grease or the green grease, slapping it all against our hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that hair would be fly when she was done and it would be straight. She oh would, my word. She would get our ears every now and then, burn our ears. Oh, there, that's just the heat. No, that that's was what she would say. I said, <laughs> you burn me? She said, Girl, that's just the oil. That's what no, you. That was a burn. <laughs> she was like, no, she, she didn't burn you. That was the oil, okay? <laughs> she said that was the oil. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that oil is mighty hot. My ears on fire. <laughs> I loved getting my hair done, and she would put my hair on these two ponytails. I loved it when she pulled my ponytails to the back, and they would hang like that. Mm-hmm. I thought I was just so cute. And my other favorite hairstylist was when she would curl my hair and with it, just curl that um, the hair around the um, hot comb, and just kind yeah. of curls came out. And I don't know if you remember Shirley Temple, but that's the only person that I, I do remember it. Um, compared to like Shirley Temple curls, mm. Temple curls, yeah. So, and uh, you know, she would for Easter it would be the treat that you would get the Shirley Temple curl. Yes, for Easter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had forgotten all about that. For Easter, she did that. 
Yeah, we thought we was a bomb. <laughs> we were. We were. We were. Yeah, you right. We wanted to say we were. I mean, she did it. But like you said, for Easter, you knew you were going to have a special. But, you know, when you think about it, it's a lot of time. Once again, there we go with the heat. And forbid the summer, whether I don't care what part of the year it was, it was always hot in that apartment. And her taking time, pressing your hair, pressing my hair, pressing Tara's hair, one after the next. That was ours. Yeah. And she did it. She didn't. She never complained. She did never said not once did she say, I don't feel like doing it today. You know? Mm-hmm. No. Nope. I don't feel like cooking today. That woman, she was just unstoppable. Just mm-hmm. she persevered. She, yeah. she was persistent. You know, she was consistent. You know, she she never gave up. I never mm-hmm. saw her. I never saw her give up. Mm-hmm. I never saw her say that I had enough, no matter what was going on in the family. You know, she just mm-hmm. kept going, and she, she just did. Kept up, and she was just kept doing, and that mm-hmm. was just amazing. I think it she's one of my biggest influences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I remember when she would tell us to do something, she explained how to do it. Now, you go on and do it and do it right now. Because if I had to go behind you, then I could have done it myself. <laughs> I remember her saying that. <laughs> if I heard you, the possibility of doing it herself, if she had to go behind us and do it. You know? Yeah. And that has stuck with me even as an adult. I'm like, man, I see what she mean. Once I had kids, I'm like letting them know. Now do it and try to do it right because then I wanted to go behind. Otherwise, I could have done it, you know? Myself. Yeah, do it right the first time is what she was saying. That's what she was saying. Right. Do it and do it right the first time. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what she was saying. Oh, my word. Yeah. Got her hair all pressed and nice and and sometimes in the summertime, they would turn the um, fire hydrant on and the water would be spewing out of that. And, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy was right. The hair drawn back like nothing had ever been done. I'm down there playing that water and, and the, the curls would be gone. The, the hair right. snapped back. And my dear would be oh, like, yeah, you spent so much time on your hair. And you out there mm-hmm. playing that water. <laughs> you out there playing in that hydrant water. Yep. Didn't end up having to get a French braid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because that was only other thing, unless you just walked around with it puffy, you know, at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but once it started to draw back and sweat up, you could forget it. <laughs> or getting sand in there and having to wash that out. I forgot about that, going to the playground and playing in the sand. And yes. Mm-hmm. And in the hair. That was a no-no. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, as a black, you like, uh-uh, don't be throwing the sand. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not the sand. Anything right. but the sand. <laughs> it's like we had to play nicely in the sand. So we, I don't know why we kept getting in that sandbox, but we wanted to build something. We like that. To build we just had yeah. to get in it, but we had to be really careful not to mm-hmm. get in our hair. Because <laughs> sand can be a nightmare for a black person's hair—a literal nightmare. You know, and almost like pull it out. You know what I mean? Trying to get it out. Yeah. Yep. That saying could be a nightmare. So we're switching gears again. And this time we're talking about what you do for a living. If you can explain to uh, our our audience what it is you do for a living. I work at a fertility clinic and um, I'm a medical assistant and I, um, I didn't know that I wanted to go into the field. It kind of just happened for me. 
what happened is um, I was working. I, I didn't. I was a medical assistant, but I was working at a, a naval hospital, Great Lakes, in the OBGYN clinic, working in women's care. And I just felt this need to like it was like time to go. And um, mm. and so I'm like, it's time for me to leave here. I was feeling that, and so I was. I went and started looking for a job. And I found a job um, in the Skokie area. I was living out in Fort Sheridan at the time. Mm-hmm. I found a job in the Skokie area, and I went for the interview, and they loved me. They hired me right on the spot, and I can't wait for you to start. And so I gave my two-week notice at the Naval Hospital. And so I'm like, the Friday before the Monday I was starting, I was like, I haven't heard from them. They haven't called me to ask me about, you know, what time I'm supposed to be there or you know, what I'm supposed to wear. So I ended up calling them on a Friday about the time I was checking out my last day at the Great Lakes Naval Hospital. And... So she was like, I was like, I just wanted to check in with you guys. I haven't heard anything. Just want to know what time I was starting on Monday and um, what uniform you guys wanted me to wear. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, uh, did so-and-so call you? I'm like, huh, who? I was like, no, nobody's Uh-oh. called. She's like, hold on for a minute. And she went and she, I'm holding the phone with her and I'm like, okay. She came back. She was like, yeah, well, um, see what happened was um, the young lady that was leaving She's not leaving. She's staying. And somebody oh, was supposed boy. to call you that you know that that position is not available. Wow. And so I was without a job. But you know what? Guess what? It was a setup. Wow. It was a setup from God. Because I left the Great Lakes for the first Naval Hospital for the last time. And I went to pick my son up. He was... um at the youth center, I would he would go out to out to school care at the youth center, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I gave up my job. What am I going to do? You know, and so I felt I didn't feel too stressed about it, but I'm like, I can't even believe what happened. So I went there to pick my son up, and I was talking to one of the parents there. She was like, Oh, go to Helen Park Hospital, and they they they'll hire you, and um, they're looking for people. I was like, No, you, they're not gonna hire me because I felt like. Because I was black, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a majority white area that they were not going to hire me. Um, mm-hmm. And she was like, no, no, go, you know, go there and check it out. So I actually went that Monday. I dressed up like I was going to an interview and I went into that office and I, you know, filled out some applications. And HR, um, the lady in HR, would not let me leave until I picked a position. I got a chance to pick a position. She took me to three different areas in the hospital and she said, which one do you want? And so I'm like, what? So it was like, I was fired right on the spot. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's how God works. (laughs) That's how he set you up. So I picked um, the surgery department at the hospital and um so I'm I'm started working there and it's dealing with surgeons and it was not the easiest position. <laughs> um scheduling surgeries for surgeons is it was really hard. It was uh hmm. different personalities. It was and I found myself over at the chapel 
Mm-hmm. About every day, every other day, praying, God, help me. <laughs> What's going on here? Okay. You know, this, yeah, I was in the chapel just praying to God. And, I, and it had like a little book that you would write down prayer, what you need prayers for. And so I would write down, I need it, you know. And so mm-hmm. my friend who I got a job there uh, from Great Lakes Naval Hospital, she started working at the surgery department with me. She was leaving to go work for the fertility clinic. They needed a receptionist. So she was like, I'm going to work for Dr. Valley. And I was like, well, check to see if they have a position for me. And so she called down and she's like, yeah, they're looking for a medical assistant. And I was like, okay. And so she said, come over now. And so I went over there and I tell you, I barely had an interview. She's like, come back on Friday. HR will be here. And I met this, okay, went back on Friday. I met this wonderful, wonderful lady named Myrna. And just so kind and very motherly. And she hired me right on the spot. I filled out my paperwork and um, they hired me. I started working there and that was um, almost, it's, it's 22 years ago. I started wow. And so that was the setup. And so wow. from the first day that I started working there, I knew that that was for me. Um, I fell in love with it. I uh, loved helping the um, patients, helping support these women. It was a unique type of um, job where, you know, it wasn't like the, and I was in the area where there was not a whole lot of blacks. And so I don't know if that had anything to do with it or if it was just that I was a medical assistant and people just had to get to know you. But once they learned who I was, you know, and, you know, and they were more open to me and I then I, I felt like it was more accepting. The doctor that I worked with accepted me from day one. It was like, it was just like this thing, the nurse that I worked with, Gloria. So we were with Gloria and Toria. Um, and she was just so amazing. And they, they were just really, really wonderful people to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I just loved it from day one. I'm like, wow, I get to do this. I get to do this every day. I get to do this. Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, I want to learn more. And so I kept saying, I want to learn more. Well, show me how to do this. How do I do this? I want to do this. And so my role was not just the typical medical assistant. You know, it was doing more of the nursing part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and so uh, they trained me to do that. And it's just been it's just been a ride since um, 1998 is when I started there. So my positions have changed a little bit over the years, um, but I love being in a position to advocate, to uh, to support, um, to find problem um, solving um, things for the patients. If whether it's an insurance issue, they don't have enough medication, um, they don't know how they're going to pay for this, and just getting into that and like, let well, let's look at this, let's look at that, just turning over all these different things, finding an avenue for them to continue and um, helping them to get pregnant, you know? Wow. Yeah. And so over the years, my, um, what I am dealing with right now is the embryo adoption thing um, in my heart is what I'm dealing with because what happens with the embryos is that once they are done with building their family and they may have some embryos left over. What do you do with those embryos? They're done with family building. A lot of people have a hard time donating those embryos to another couple in fear of, I got another child out there. Um, so the embryos end up staying in forever freezer or they, mm-hmm. just, or they're being discarded. Mm. 
And so, um, and some of them, a lot of them are being abandoned because there's a fee that you have to pay every year. So I didn't realize that. Yeah. And so, you know, people get tired of paying the fee, but there, you can always donate those embryos, you know, to another couple who is looking and longing for a family. Ah. I just, my prayer is just that more people would, um, would do that, would donate okay. their and not leave them in forever freezer or not discard them, but utilize them, give them to someone else who are, you know, looking to love on a child. Ah. It's like a, over, like a, I, I was reading like a, over a million embryos are just sitting out there. Really? Yeah. Wow. I never thought about that. Huh. Out to me right now. Yeah. So that's what's, where your heart is at. Yeah. It means embryos <laughs> to our family. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Wow. So now, um, upon completing high school, did you go straight into medical technician or was there kind of a detour to get to be a medical technician, period? Well, I wanted to be uh, a nurse. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to be a flight attendant. I wanted to be a hairdresser. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I remember one of my teachers in high school uh, was suggested that I go to um, Olive Harvey College for a couple of years to get my work on getting my nursing degree. But um, and my high school, CBS Chicago Vocational High School, had a program like a LPN program. Right. But there was something that happened in my family and I was not able to go to uh, to sign up for it. And so I missed the opportunity to do that. And so after high school graduation, I decided that I was going to go to Memphis, Tennessee to go to school. And I ended mm-hmm. up um, doing dental lab technician there in Memphis mm-hmm. and not medical mm-hmm. assistant. So, I mean, I got through it, but it wasn't where my heart was. Okay. I, what I really wanted to do, but since I started it, I wanted to finish what I had started there. That makes uh, sense. And so I, that's when I went to Memphis, I graduated from the program and then I met my husband there, my mm-hmm. ex mm-hmm. Um, there. And um, we ended up, um, he was in the military and so he was being relocated to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and then I w- came back home to Chicago until things were ready and, you know, ready for me to move there with him. That was my plan to just move there to Louisville, Kentucky with him, and which I eventually did. And um, I ended up uh, signing up for school there in Louisville. And that that's where I graduated from Syrian College to get my medical assistance. Mm. Okay. And that was all in Kentucky that you got the medical system. And I actually started off in pediatrician. Um, okay. A pediatric medical assistant. And I worked mm-hmm. with Dr. Beverly Gaines, who was an amazing pediatrician and um, met a really good friend there, Cindy Smith, which you mm-hmm. now are in. But we worked together and it was just, it was just amazing. And I loved it. I loved taking care of people and children. I love Aww. it. That had to be special because you know how um, we all might have certain professions, but then I think that for certain age groups, especially with the medical field, that is specifically geared towards certain people. You know what I mean? Everybody is not specifically geared towards a certain, like for children, older people, middle, you know what I mean? 
Right. Just like hospice. I'm like, it, is, you, it takes special people to do. With oh, my word. Yeah. Work in that, you know, to see people out. You know, mm-hmm. you know these people are dying. Right. Yeah. So it takes, yep. and I think you, I really do think that God calls you into those positions. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. Like you said, because everybody can't do it, you know. Mm-hmm. So what, what advice do you think you would give to others who are pursuing an interest in what it is that you're de- doing now? Uh, just pray about it. Um, it's not been the easiest journey emotionally because, mm-hmm. you know, going into, especially fertility, you see, you know, some losses, women who get pregnant and they lose their babies and it's hard not to get wrapped up into the emotional um, aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and even when women have tried everything that they knew possible and, and, you know, every protocol that the doctor can think of and still there's no success. Mm. And um, this position, and I just want to just add that this position has allowed me even more so in the last couple of years to uh, pray with the patients. And even in that, um, I've seen, believe it or not, some miracles come about with prayer mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and it's, it's just been so amazing how God would just set you up in a place and you think it's time for you to go and he said not yet you know he's saying not yet you know I still got work for you to do and I want you to do this thing so I was in the beginning not you know uh, offering prayer but now I've started you know if I see a patient you know who's struggling like would you like for me to pray for you or can I pray for you and if they say yeah that brings me so much joy to be able to sit there and pray and mm-hmm. and hope you know just to pray over them and right. give them hope and mm-hmm. like I said I've seen some some things turn around um through prayer I mean some mm-hmm. miraculous things um through prayer so um just making sure that your heart is in, 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 in the right place with this, you yeah. know, and it's, it's not an easy thing. And, um, and, um, just trusting what God is showing you. And even when it's mm-hmm. time to your heart, if God is showing you that this is the thing that he wants you to do, you know, just praying about it and, um, just trusting God for it. Trusting him for it. Right. Now, what does, um, the word brokenness mean to you? Hmm. I kind of struggle with this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was reading. So mm. I feel like um, brokenness. I feel like we've all been broken. Mm-hmm. Right? And yeah. God uses that. I God uses everything for our good and his glory. It's, Amen. It's and so even brokenness for me is when I'm dead in my sin and just stuck there and um, not realizing that God can get you through that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and God will forgive you for that. Amen. Um, and God will love you. And what's been sitting with me lately is that there's nothing that I can do that's going to cause God to love me any less. Amen. Right now, 
or any more than he loves me right now. Mm-hmm. So I have that. If I don't have anything else, I have the love of God. No matter what I do, if I make a mm-hmm. wrong choice, if I make a wrong decision, if I make a wrong step, God is still there. He is still God. He still loves me. And he still wants me. He still can use me. Mm-hmm. So it's not. I feel like it's not knowing that there's something beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, not knowing that God can see you through it. Not knowing that God can heal you. Not knowing that um, there's more. For you, even you, even when you're dead and you're sin and you're slime and you're nasty stuff, uh, God can rescue you from from that um, and forgive you for that and set you right back where you <laughs> or yeah. even on a higher plane, if yeah. I can say that. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, so just knowing that no matter what. I do in life. Um, I just want to stay focused on God and uh, want to be in his will. Right. And, um, and I know that if that's the case and I'm doing what he's called me to do, then nothing else matters because I'm under the will of God. And so he's going to provide and um, give me provision. And um, I have everything that I need if he's called me to it. Um, then And he can use me. And I am clean only because he is because if he's washed me, wash me and I'll be clean, you know? And um, so it's because of his righteousness, not because of anything that I've done. And I don't have to try to be perfect. And I don't have to try to do things perfectly. Amen. (laughs) So it's not, and I was just reading in the Bible study that we, I do on um, Thursday nights, the women's empowerment Bible study. Right. Just studying the story of Tamar in the Bible and Tamar um, was uh, the daughter-in-law of Judah. Um, Judah uh, married him to her, to his first son, Ur, mm-hmm. who was wicked in God's eyes, and God killed him. And then he was, she was uh, married Onan, and Onan was supposed to give her an heir, but uh, he decided that he didn't want to do that. And so he was tricking her and spilling his semen on the ground. And so God killed him. And so there was one son left. <laughs> so there was one son left and that was Shayla, but Shayla was too young to get married yet. Mm-hmm. But Judah did promise to Tamar that she can have Shayla when he's of age. Go back to your father's house and remain there until the time. But time had went by, and so they had some kind of festival there in, in the town where uh, Tamar was, and um, Judah and Shayla was there, and she saw Shayla, and Shayla was all grown up, and so Judah had promised her that she could marry, you know, they were like, so once you have that agreement in place, it's like right. an engagement, right? Yeah, exactly. And so... And so um, seeing that Shayla was all grown up and they were not going to uh, uh, have her to marry him. And Judah didn't want Shayla to marry Tamar because he was afraid that he was going to die too um, because God had t- taken his other two sons and he was just sure. afraid. Mm-hmm. So Tamar tricked him, um, dressed up like um, a harlot and um, she... <laughs> it was a strip, wasn't it? She dressed up like a harlot and said, what you going to pay me? He said, a kid mm-hmm. was going to get me in the meantime. And she took his signet ring. She took his cord and she took his staff. So she took all of his identification. She, I know. She, she was like, okay, we're going to do this. And you know what? And, I, you know, because it's, 
it took a, it would have been it would have been committing adultery for her if she would have done this with any you know anyone else it would have been committing adultery and she could have been killed for it so she did this thing with Judah and she ended up getting pregnant but Judah didn't know that it was Tamar so when uh, Judah found out Tamar was pregnant not realizing that this was the harlot right? <laughs> that, right, he, that he was with he said burn her he wanted to kill her until Tamar being the smart woman was that she was said hey this is the man gave him a signal ring his staff and his court there you go impregnate me and at that moment Judah said that she is more righteous than, than I. He did not keep his promise, right? Yeah, he sure did. He did not keep his promise, and he owned, but he owned up to it. And I commend him for, you know, owning up. Like, you know, I didn't do the right thing, you know. And so Tamar ended up getting married, uh, getting pregnant with twins, and one of the twins was Perez, which is in the line of David, and mm-hmm. and there comes Jesus through that line. Right. So, her story is so amazing to me because God will use you <laughs> even when you don't do the right thing and you don't make the right choices. He can Amen. use you. Right. He Tamar. Not only did he use her, but he set her up in a way. She gave birth to Perez, who was going to eventually uh, have a, a, a grandson, a David, and then Brian mm-hmm. would give birth to Jesus. That's right. how God set her up. And mm-hmm. so just knowing that God always keeps his promises. Tamar didn't give up. She was persistent. I don't know if she knew the promise that that God was going to give her, you know, this heir, and this was gonna, and he was gonna do this amazing thing. I don't know if she knew that or not, but I, I, I feel like she knew something and she had faith and she knew that, you know, even though she took things into her own hands, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the right way to do it. Uh but still, God blessed her and blessed it. And so God, if he can use that, he can use the, the woman at the well um, who had five different husbands. And he in the one that she was with, she wasn't even married to. Mm-hmm. She he she went back and was, you know, and was uh, bringing other people into the kingdom. So right. God used her even if she was sent, you know, in her sin, God pulled her right on up out of there and still yes. used her. So yeah. God, you're not that broken where God can't use you. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that is so true. Amen. Why do you think people stay in that state of brokenness for so long? I think because some of them have lost hope. They don't have the right relationships around them to tell them any different. Mm-hmm. They don't know the word of God. Um, the word of God is um, sharper than any two-edged sword. It Amen. Bone and marrow, right? It mm-hmm. cuts spirit and soul. So yes. not knowing the word of God, not trusting and believing in God, uh, and not being surrounded by the right people. Yep. There um, you go. There you go. And so if you feel comfortable sharing, uh, what were your areas of brokenness and how did God begin to heal you? Uh, I think when I was at the end of my marriage, mm-hmm. when I was at the end of my marriage and I felt lost, I felt, um, I felt like, uh, there was nothing else. Um, and I actually 
when I left my marriage, we were separated um, before, of course, before we were divorced. But we were mm-hmm. separated for about seven years mm-hmm. before the divorce came through. But anyways, um, being in that space where um, I felt like there was nothing more. What else is there? I mean, I'm divorced. I'm a single mother, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was like every day the same old thing. And um, I started to get into a relationship with somebody and I wasn't even divorced yet. Mm-hmm. I was wondering why this relationship wasn't working out the way I was trying to find a husband. And I, mm-hmm. had, I wasn't even done with my last relationship. So how can I, I bring you um, So I decided um, I went to the Addison Vineyard. Somebody told me about the Addison Vineyard. So I went in there and I started this woman's um, I joined this women's encounter group and in this group life changing for me because wow. it was like immediately I went up there for prayer and lady said we're starting our group tomorrow sign up right away we fill up quickly I didn't know what it was about they were meeting on Saturdays and I worked on Saturdays but God made a way even for that it was so I went to this group and every woman stood up and told their entire story their entire stuff all of their stuff their sins all of it, everything that they had been through. Really? And instead of everything, everything, wow. every last one I think was about 11 of us. And every mm. Saturday we stood up there and we just, just told all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And as I was telling my stuff, I just felt so much freedom. There's so much freedom, just releasing all of that. And I didn't know I had so much packed into me. There right. was a lot down in there from over the years just being uh-huh. feeling like you're not worthy feeling like you're not good enough people telling you you you, you need more and you're never going to be able to do it and you're you, I don't love you and you're never going mm. to be loved you're never going to be able to use you you know so it's all this stuff that was just packed and packed and packed on top of me and in that telling my story it was releasing and instead of these women shunning me or rejecting me what they did was they embraced me and told me, you know what? You are beautiful. You yeah. are amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And God has so many things for you. And it was through word of prophecy that was given to me. Right. And what? God wants to do what? He, 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 he's calling me what? And it was not until I was hearing those things that I knew that there was more. That I didn't have to just sit there in that space where, you know, it was just like day in and day out the same old. There was more. Right. So it was through community and through these women praying for me and my realization, God working on my heart and um, mm-hmm. different. Yes. So what would you say, uh, what advice would you give for someone that's dealing with the areas of brokenness that you struggle with? Trust God. Just trust God, learn the word of God. The same thing. You got to be, a, you got to know who you are in Christ. It's very important for you to know who you are in Christ. And you can do that. You can ask God. You can pray about it. You can, you know, make sure you're around godly people. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure you're reading the word and asking God to give you wisdom, give you wisdom and understanding. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think? Like, what and ha- wait for God. You got to wait for God. You don't take. Don't take things into your own hand. Wait for God to show mm-hmm. you and act on that thing. Because, you know, taking things in our own time, we can make a big mess. Just like Sarah and Hagar and Abram, right? Oh, my word, yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. Right? So you take things in your own hand, you can make a big mess. But even still in that mess, God can bless you. God can still use you. But to avoid that mess, 
Amen. Don't don't we make a mess of things? We can make a hot mess of things. Yes. I'm telling you. Hot mess. You. Hot mess. But you write though, Sarah and Abram and Sarah had this idea, we're gonna do this. And she had the promise that God was gonna give her a son. Oh, we must gonna do it this way. And so I know the problem. I know that God is gonna give me a husband, but I can't just pick somebody out and like, okay, this is gonna be my husband. No, I gotta wait for God to send him. You know, right. I I am trusting God for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like you said, once we get the messing in like they did, oh my goodness. And then we can't take it back. They could take back the child, so she like get rid of her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once we didn't done whatever, then it's like, okay, well, why is this going on? I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. And the Lord's like, well, this was your doing. Yeah. <laughs> so my last question for you today is, what does home, the word home mean to you? And the song that came to me this morning as I was re- rereading your questions is the song from the Wizard, Wizard of Oz. Home. It's called home. When I think, mm. I I think of a place that there's love overflowing, and um, that's what I think when I think of home. And when I think of home, I actually think of my grandmother's home growing up in that home where there was always the smell of good food, um, a pot of beans. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, and yes, the love, the music, the laughter, the reminiscing of the sisters. Um, and the friends that come over and visit. Um, and for me now, home is where my, all of my children are here together and we're laughing and we're giggling and we're reminiscing and they're barking at one another and making right. a lot of noise. I'm like, make as much noise as you want. I love it. Right. And when I'm cooking, making a good meal for them and or baking a, a cake or for them and uh, being surrounded by friend, friends and just feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit and all of that. Amen. Amen. Well, Toria, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the Healing Our Brokenness podcast. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your Saturday. This has really been a blessing. I tell you, so it's much. really been a blessing. It's been a blessing for me, too. Thank you for allowing me to tell my stuff. You are very, very welcome. <laughs> Have a blessed Saturday, girl. Thank you. Bless All you. right, we'll talk. Okay. All right, love you. Love you too. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to episode 74, an interview with Toria Johnson. I want to give a shout out to Timothy Horton for the intro and outro music that he brings in every week. And I also want to thank my listeners for tuning in. Until next time.
much, so much for me.